The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines this hour. Asian equity markets are trading higher while bond yields rise as investors focus on the European Central Bank's interest rate decision over the next 48 hours. Meanwhile, Apple suppliers shine as the tech giant unveils the iPhone 11 and stirs up the streaming battle by putting a cheaper price tag on its TV service. President Trump fires his hawkish national security advisor, John Bolton, sending oil prices initially lower as investors cut bets on escalating tensions with Iran. And China tries to attract more money, scrapping foreign investment quotas amid the trade war with the U.S. White House trade advisor Peter Navarro tells CNBC a deal with Beijing will take time. Oh, welcome, everybody. And if you're listening on the podcast, welcome, everybody, on the podcast as well. My cheeky little friend, Jeff Cutmore, has just said to me, check your headlines, Steve, because there was a tiny, weeny bit of grammar missing on there. And we need to check our headlines because of the narrative in the markets at the moment as well. What are the headlines as well? The headlines are that the central banks are going to pump more money into the system, and that's going to drive liquidity into stocks, and that's going to drive liquidity into bonds, and everything's going to be all right. That's the headline. But is it? Is it? And that's what we've been trying to dig into the last few days. Is something subtly different happening? Did you see the row we had yesterday? Sorry, the, the, the strenuous debate we had yesterday with Eric Lonergan, where we were trying to work out if the central banks are the only game in town still. Is it all about the Fed cutting two more times before the end of the year? Is it all about the ECB buying assets that already trade at virtually zero yield? Or, or is there something else going on? Certainly in Europe, something else going on fiscally. Is something going on with the uh, growth and stability pact that means that there could be more spending going on? Is there something going on in Germany, which means actually these very tight fiscal rules, uh, the Schwarze Null, uh, as Jeff calls it as well, in his beautiful Germanic accent as well. Is it all about that or, or is it all about the traditional remedy that we've been having from the ECB? Let's see what Mario Draghi says on his swan song in the next 48 hours. These are the US markets, latish rally, latish rally going on, energy rebounding off those John Bolton-inspired lows, uh, and we saw real estate moving in the opposite direction. Again, I'll say this to you every day, if you see a flat headline market, it means absolutely zip for what's going on underneath the surface. I'll give you another example. There was a 2.7% difference between energy up 1.3% and real estate down 1.4% yesterday. Why was real estate under a bit of pressure? Because of the yields, and I'll come to that in a few moments' time. Do you want to look at Apple as well? Jeff's big headline as well. And I, I actually saw Shortsy as I came in, Elizabeth Shortsy. She knows everything about Apple. Uh, and I was saying to her, I said, Elizabeth, what, what do I need to know about this? What do I need to know? What's really exciting about this as well? Uh, and very interesting what she had to say about the, the new 11 phone uh, and indeed about the subscription service and about whether I need to buy a cheap Apple Watch or an expensive one. Or actually, don't bother because they all just tell the time apparently. Yeah, apparently the big reveal. This is what Shortsy said. I'm going to tell you. Apparently they're now going to have a watch, yeah? that tells the time all the time. I know, it's staggering, it's amazing. So you can look at your watch and you can see the time. That's the big reveal from Apple. 
Crikey, <laughs> 216 bucks, uh, 0.7 is where that's 1.18 higher. Let's have a look at those treasuries. And this is my point as well uh, about the real estate because the treasury yields picked up. Oh, was it five days in a row? My goodness me, Armageddon for all those bond investors. 1.7% uh, yield on your 10 year. Uh, the 30 year, which I mentioned on Monday, uh, was 2.03, now trading at 2.2 as well. Let's have a look at oil and gold. Come on. Um, we had gold closing below 1,500 bucks for the first time. Uh, since last month as well. 1490 is where the current trade is. And again, oscillation on WTI and Brent. They were down on the uh, Bolton firing and now they're back up again. Asian markets, are they searching for direction? Well, not really. Look at some of these up 1.4% the Hang Seng and the Nikkei is up 0.8 of 1%. Uh, the uh, Shanghai Composite looks stubbornly flat, doesn't it? And the AS600 up 0.1 of 8%. The opening calls for the European indices look like this. Higher across the board. So, Jeffrey Cutmore, good morning to you. Yeah, very good morning to you. So, Shorts is going to tell us all about this amazing yeah, device now. Great... That, that tells the time. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we were uh, having, actually having a chat earlier, weren't we, in the makeup room? We were just, <laughs> we were oh, just having a makeup room. You were there hours, well, Jeffrey. I, we, we were prepping the interview <laughs> while you were getting yourself get a coffee. Paul, the makeup you were there. We, so long. we were prepping the interview while you were getting yourself a coffee. That's how TV. <laughs> that's how the TV business works, pal. Um, <laughs> Apple has unveiled its latest products to consumers, launching three new iPhones and providing more details on its streaming TV service. Elizabeth Schultz is with us. <laughs> no as Steve has pointed out. Um, and as we discussed in the makeup room, the interesting thing about this was it was a hardware launch event that ended up being dominated by the software. It was. The big surprise announcement was the details on Apple's TV Plus streaming service. We've been waiting for details on this. Investors have been wondering when we're going to get this long-awaited uh, streaming service, which is now launching November 1st. The price will be $4.99 a month. So the key headline with that is it is undercutting many of the competitors here. And also you will get a year free of this service if you purchase any of these new products that Apple unveiled. So let's quickly run through some of those new products because after all, as you mentioned, Jeff, this was a hardware event. It is about the iPhone. We know the iPhone still constitutes about half of Apple's sales. So it is important to look to these devices to see what kind of new innovation Apple's coming out with. Three new models, the iPhone 11, starting as the lower price model, starts at $699. Now that is a price cut compared to the previous 10R, which was the lowest price uh, phone. So a little bit of a focus on how Apple's trying to make this device a little bit more accessible. The 10R has some new features, but mainly, you know, incremental upgrades, things like longer battery life, faster processing power. The three cameras that we've been also talking about comes on the premium phone. So that's the iPhone 11 Pro and the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Those start at $999 and $1,000.99. Ultimately, those, the big feature is this camera system, Apple kind of catching up with its competitors, Samsung and Huawei, have, and many of the other Chinese competitors have released these three cameras. So Apple's saying, you know, we're in the game here on that front. Also, there's new um, chips in these phones. But ultimately, generally a sense from, from the uh, Apple watchers, from the analysts who cover this company, the stock did close a bit higher, didn't uh, come lower than expectations in these releases but ultimately not something that necessarily looks like people are going to rush out to the stores to buy these new phones. Um, we've talked a lot about SaaS, uh, software as a service, and Apple has directed us in that direction as well. And you've mentioned the, the software uh, package, the, 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 the streaming package. 
so cheap as well. What's going to be on there? I, I think our viewers, very basic question, not very technical question. What's going to be on there that Mrs. Sedgwick can't get on her various accounts, including her Now TV, which is Sky, which is part of us. We've got Amazon Prime. We've got Netflix. We've got just about everything out there. So I can say this because... You pay I, for all of this. Yeah. yeah. No, but I, don't, I don't watch TV, particularly apart from CNBC and sport. <laughs> Um, but but what 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 is what are they because the content's going to cost them a pack here, isn't it? It is, and that they're really trying to push this original content. If you remember that streaming event that they held in March, the whole draw was the star power behind these shows. So they brought out everyone from Oprah to Steven Spielberg to Jennifer Aniston, and the, what they're selling is that they have this brand that can bring these kind of really A-list people to create these new shows, but. Also, there is a little bit of a play happening here as a, from Apple as a platform. So if you look at the stock of Roku yesterday, that fell 12%. Now, Roku does not create its own content, but it's the platform where you can access all the different channels. And in a way, it looks like Apple maybe is trying to dent into that, too, with its Apple TV. That's the actual hardware that gives you access to all those channels, which would also give you access to other services like Netflix, like Amazon Prime. But widen this out a little bit. Uh, I, I think all the big content providers are taking content home from what I understand, whether it's Disney, whether it's ABC, whether it's our own organization, people are thinking or doing it about. So so why would content providers such as the major production studios in this, why would they put content on this rather than on their own platform? It's the, that is the question no one has answered yet, to be honest with you. So far, Netflix has won that debate. Netflix has been able to continue to raise prices so they can pay for these shows. They can, you know, say we're going to retain the talent and we still have the winning number of subscribers. But the reality, Apple has a massive installed base on its iPhones. Billions of people have these devices, which means they can automatically log into that content. That is billions a billions of people have the devices. Well, billions of people aren't buying them, but there is a large installed base already. Excuse my ignorance. The billions of people have Apple phones. I believe the active install base is currently in 900 million. But I think there are about 1.4 billion phones out okay. there. Maybe a, maybe maybe not all active. I think 900 million active, so close okay. to a billion there. Yeah. What um, I mean, the, the pricing on this is just fascinating. I think because I'm, I'm just digging up some numbers here just to get some comparison. Yes. Netflix 11 11 dollars a month. Hulu, eight dollars a month. Amazon Prime about nine dollars a month. PlayStation View uh, 35 per month, but that is a cable TV replacement, so you get a whole package there. But there is a lot of this out there, as Steve is pointing out. Um, at what point do you feel that we may go peak streaming? Because just everybody is launching a service at this point. I've been asking a lot of people who cover this sector this question because there has to be a point where consumers say, we're not just going to keep piling these on. Their answer is that the normal price that people would pay, for example, for cable in the U.S., was close to 70 up to $90. If you're looking at these services individually, even if you bought all of those that you just listed, it's getting close to that price, but not even quite there. So the point is, they're probably going to cut those entire cable subscriptions and replace them with whatever handful of these new streaming services they want. And that would present the option that there is, you know, there could be more of these competitors out there than maybe, you know, one or two even. And when we spoke with the Roku CEO actually last week at IFA in Berlin, that was his whole argument. He said, we welcome as many players here as possible because we know that people are going to easily throw in five bucks for a new service. For Apple, if you get it free, 
for the first year, it's likely you're going to continue paying that $5 for the next year. I mean, what's interesting about this, I think, is, is it somewhat changes the model that we were expecting. I think the marketplace was preparing itself for a pay-per-view type model, which would be platform neutral and uh, uh, technology neutral in terms of hardware. But what we've got here is a perpetuation of a subscription type model that has existed in the cable television world for a very long time here. So you bundle the less interesting content with the compelling content and then you try and find a price that the consumer will take it off your hands at. How much longer can this model survive given that most people I know only want to watch certain shows and they take the bundle because that show happens to be on that platform. I think there's some room to run. I think that ultimately, if you look at a, something like an ESPN Plus that is offering really just that you know kind of core sports content that you might want, the, so far the indication is that people would want to pay for that in addition to many of these other services, whether it be the Apple streaming service, whether it be Netflix, whether it be a Hulu, because of the diversity of the, each of those, as we mentioned with Apple, Apple's really trying to focus on kind of that core entertainment, original content. That is specialized versus an ESPN, for example. Uh, just a quick one on the share price, because you mentioned the share price. Uh, we still haven't returned to that 2018 high here. Uh, what are the analysts saying about whether these products will be enough to get the share price back up to that 2018 high? Or is it not about the product? Is it about the trade war? It is about the trade war. I will say so much of this commentary is about how much these tariffs that are have gone into effect on some of the Apple products already will hurt the uh, if they go into effect in the latest round, which goes in December. Now, that would affect the iPhone. That could have a big impact. Part of the even commentary was that the lower prices are to drop people in now before those tariffs do go into effect. Um, quick question, Jeffrey. What time do you make it? Uh, well, let me have a look. My cheap plastic watch tells me that we're about 13, 14 minutes past the hour. Yeah, my cheap plastic watch says very similar as well. So <laughs> yeah. you looked at your watch and saw the time. I did. This is an amazing new concept, isn't it? Uh, I mention this, of course, because now the new... Uh, Apple Watch 5 yep, apparently can watch. tell the time all the time. It can. The, Extraordinary. The kind of big reveal here. And this is new technology, but it's that this always-on feature. So if you're sitting at, say, a meeting and you want to just glance at the time, previously your watch would have gone black and you would have had to tap it or move your wrist. Now it's always on so you can just look just like you might for a normal watch. That is oh. mind-shattering. <laughs> somebody mentioned this to the, uh, the boss over at Swatch. He'll be interesting, won't he? What an amazing concept. He'll be bullish for him regardless. It always is. Absolutely. Um, Elizabeth, that was brilliant. Are you coming back? I'm coming back. Amazing. Thank you very much Thank indeed you. for that as well. Uh, Shortsy talking about uh, Apple there. Elizabeth Shortsy, I should say. Uh, for more on the price, I keep calling you that. It just seems that people it's do natural. call you that. It's though, good. I love it. Yeah. Apologise. Yeah, it's great. Like, What's your nickname? Um, Cutters? Yeah, I think that'll do. <laughs> Uh, for more on the pricing of <laughs> Apple's streaming platform, head online to cnbc.com. Sedges, this one's yours. OK, taking it from there, Cutters. Uh, President Trump has fired National Security Advisor John Bolton over policy disagreements. Mr. Trump tweeted that he told Bolton of his dismissal earlier this week, adding that he, quote, disagreed strongly with many of his suggestions. He said others in the administration backed the move. But Mr. Bolton presented a different version of events, tweeting that he offered to resign. Bolton was known for his hardline views on a range of foreign policy issues. Oil prices fell off the back of Bolton's removal, partly due to hopes of easing tensions between Iran and Washington. 
And later today, our U.S. colleagues will speak to the Treasury Secretary, Steven Mnuchin. Uh, that is at 1400 Central European time. China is removing quota restrictions on two major inbound investment programs as it looks to boost capital inflows. The Chinese foreign exchange regulator says the move will make it more, quote, convenient for overseas investors to invest in Chinese markets. It also said China will be more internationally accepted as a result of that move. Beijing is looking to boost foreign inflows amid a depreciating yuan as trade tensions between the U.S. and China continue. Meanwhile, White House trade advisor Peter Navarro told CNBC the U.S. should be optimistic about doing a deal with China whilst also urging patience. We know what the structural issues are, Joe, uh, but we also want market access there. And we'll have um, important, frank discussions about that. But that'll be behind closed doors with Ambassador Lighthouser. We should be optimistic, though, because I think the Chinese really do uh, want a deal. They are getting hammered by the Trump tariffs. They're having to cut their prices, uh, manipulate their currency down into the toilet, really. Uh, and they're losing their supply chain. Peter Navarro, of course, the author of Death by China. Uh, Boris Johnson rubbishes claims his parliament's suspension is undemocratic after reassuring his Northern Irish allies over the backstop. We'll have more on that story. Yeah, plus new IBM research says car brands will be irrelevant by 2030. OK, uh, make sure to tune in to Karen's exclusive interview with the IBM CEO at the Frankfurt Motor Show live on Street Signs. And it's been a cracker today. If you can't get enough of Squawbox and especially Jeff Cutmore, be sure to tune in to his very own podcast. We call it Squad Squawbox Daily Podcast uh, on CNBC.com. It's on Apple platforms. It's on Spotify or wherever you get your platforms. Yes, Squadcast. <laughs> I got that wrong, didn't I? And you can listen to today's download episode. For our listeners, stick around for plenty more Squadcast. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back, everybody. Incoming European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen has unveiled a new team of commissioners. Valdis Dombrovskis, Franz Timmermans and Margrethe Vestager become executive vice presidents, with Vestager also holding on to her role as competition commissioner. And that is fascinating because she gets another five years and she's getting additional powers here to go after some of the American tech companies. So we'll keep a close eye on this story. In other key appointments, former Italian Prime Minister Paolo Gentiloni has been named economic commissioner, while Irishman Phil Hogan becomes trade commissioner. Elsewhere, France's Sylvie Goulard becomes internal market commissioner and is also responsible for defence. Oh, Villa, Mark's around the set. Remind me, Villa, before we carry on the read, how much that Gentiloni got the uh, Italian debt to GDP down whilst he was Prime Minister. I can't find the figure anywhere. 
I think it was zero or something. I suspect his countrymen might be quite happy with that result. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. He's very pro-European, isn't he? Uh, Italy's new government is reportedly, though, planning to raise its budget deficit to around 2.3% of GDP in 2020, according to Reuters. That would be higher than the 2.1% goal currently in place, potentially potentially reigniting tensions with Brussels. But there is optimism that Gentiloni's new EU role could smooth negotiations. Now, I spoke to former Italian leaders at the Ambrosetti Forum about how the new government and Gentiloni's appointment could make for a different process this time around. The former Prime Minister Gentiloni is the quintessence of the establishment. Part of the negotiation process will be started with Europe, but the difference uh, from before is that Gentiloni will give a good enough uh, guarantee that uh, uh, that will be done in a proper manner. It will be easier for the Italian government uh, to have a dialogue, a constructive dialogue uh, with uh, the European Union. The extent to which this will lead to a much more, much more room in terms of Italian public deficit, mm, I'm not sure. Ultimately, the decision will be taken by markets. Markets are quiet now. You know how markets are. They change their mind quite quickly. It's a more pro-European government. Conversations may be easier in in a sense. There is sufficient leeway. I'm pretty much sure about it within the rules, within the flexibility. And Italy has been an example of using that flexibility. Budget law is a very, very high obstacle. It is a high obstacle because of the choices of previous government and because of the consequences of lack of growth and raising uh, of the debt and the deficits. And it's very important, uh, I think, to lower the level of promises to the people. So there you go. Uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel has played down expectations of fiscal stimulus from Berlin, saying the government will stick to its, quote, goal of a balanced budget. Merkel's comments came after the finance minister, Olaf Scholz, uh, said... Germany is ready to inject, quote, many, many billions of euros in the event of an economic crisis. Powder dry. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has vowed he will continue to work for a Brexit deal, but insists the UK must be prepared to exit Europe without an agreement. Since Parliament is now suspended for the next five weeks, MPs have limited opportunity to directly intervene and focus returns to the key sticking point of the Irish border. Johnson held talks with the allied Northern Irish DUP yesterday, after which leader Arlene Foster said the UK leader confirmed his rejection of a Northern Ireland-only backstop. Well, speaking during a school visit in London, uh, Johnson sought to rubbish claims that the suspension of Parliament is undemocratic. We need a Queen's speech. That's why Parliament uh, is in recess now, because you always have a recess before a Queen's speech. And anybody who says it's all this stuff about it being anti-democratic, I mean and break. Uh, what a load of nonsense. We, we were very, very clear that if people wanted a democratic uh, moment, if they wanted an election, we offered it to the Labour opposition and mysteriously they decided not to go for it. It's actually laissez-moi tranquille. I've just Googled. But, but isn't that fascinating as we, break. as we talk about Rodney. separating or extracting ourselves from the EU that he reverts to, to French to uh, make, a, make a point in that school. Willem, good morning to you. Nice morning, to Jeff. see you here around the desk rather than uh, braving the rain down in Westminster you never say for a change. To me. No, because we like it when you're braving the rain. Um, let me ask you then, um, 
obviously, Boris Johnson's given his views on the nature of whether it's democratic or undemocratic, this proroguing. The issue really is where we are on the withdrawal agreement, because at the moment, suspicious folk are coming around to the idea that Boris Johnson is actually just going to represent Theresa May's original deal here, having frightened MPs into thinking that he would go for something that was more radical. Suspicious folk are looking at what members of his own government have been saying in the last few days, looking at what commissioners or new commissioners in Brussels are talking about, like Phil Hogan, the Irishman you just mentioned, would be the new trade commissioner, and listening to the reality of Arlene Foster dashing across from Belfast for a last-minute meeting last night to make sure that this was not something he was looking to pursue. You have obviously still the possibility of no deal, even though Parliament has tried to prevent that from happening because Boris Johnson says that is something he still will potentially pursue. Does he still need Arlene Foster now that he's well, lost this is his the majority really, anyway? This is the key question. He's fired those 21 MPs. He's had another one defect to the Liberal Democrats. He doesn't have that majority that was reliant under Theresa May on those 10 DUP members of Parliament. At which point, does he really care about divergence between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK in his heart of hearts? Or would he rather sell the idea of a deal? We, we know he's an ultimate pragmatist and we know that he wants to be the man who delivered Brexit with or without a deal. We've heard that many times in the die in the ditch comments, which were very unfortunate, I thought, but that reiterated that as well. Wouldn't it be amazing to go to the country, though, from his point of view, from Dominic Cummings' point of view, as the man who delivered a deal and averted the crisis? I mean, one would think that would be worth a few votes as well. Do you think that's plan B? I mean, that may be plan B. The challenge, again, is going to be getting it through Parliament. Whether he goes to the European Council, manages to get them to dust off the original plan around the Northern Ireland backstop that's no doubt been on Michel Barnier's shelf for 12 months now, or, you know, when he goes back to Parliament and says, this is what I've done, will there be enough members on the Labour benches who say, you know what, that's good enough for me, I'd rather have this than continue with this process, versus the number of Conservative MPs who, including himself in the past, voted against. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.